Hey, welcome to the first edition of Next is Now, a future farming podcast. I'm your host, Brian Brunson with GFL Ag and my co-host, Dan Aberhart from Aberhart Ag Solutions. Hello, everybody. Welcome and thank you for joining us. What we do now, Brian, has such a big impact on what happens next in agriculture. That's why on this show we say next is now. Well, in this series, we'll be discussing and debating topics that make a difference to farmers' operations now. You know, I'm kind of the layman on this show. I'll be asking a lot of questions because I don't know the nuts and bolts of farming. Um, you know, it's my job at GFL Ag to try and understand what's happening in the world of agriculture and kind of help you guys and gals produce better and, and hopefully with our solutions. On another note, for any other farming noobs out there, I'm your Huckleberry. And Dan, are, are huckleberries growing on a farm? I, I don't know. We don't currently have it in the rotation, but it's something <laughs> that I could suggest to Terry. Um, you know, I understand they're delicious and easy easy to pick. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, we want to. Generally, we're done with the gunfighting portion. If you're making a reference to uh, <laughs> Tombstone, baby. Tombstone, baby, I love Val it. Val Kilmer. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's great, Brian. And it's my job to put the topic into context and and get you the answers that you're looking for by talking to industry experts and ag leaders and agronomists and and also a big component of this show will be talking to producers themselves about how they do it it's always great for farmers to hear from other farmers so that'll be a big component of it and we're going to have a wide range of topics every show is going to have a different topic we're going to talk about everything from crop and soil science to the latest advancements in technology and equipment which is always moving really fast in agriculture uh, you know some of the bigger emerging farm trends that would be on people's minds and also, you know, highlight a few events of interest that are going on in the agricultural community. It's, we're, we're never, we're never bored in this business, I'm telling you. So we have a few of those things to touch on in this episode. All right. That sounds great. Uh, if you're passionate about agriculture and you want to stay ahead of the curve, and then tune into Nexus Now and get ready for some thought-provoking discussion, unbiased opinions, and a deep dive into the future of farming. Next is Now, a presentation of GFL Ag. Today, Dan and I are curious about what's next with fertilizer and supply and demand. So, uh, Dan, if you can, in your infinite wisdom, walk us through what we'll be hearing. Today's show, I have talked to a number of really interesting folks. Our featured guest is going to be none other than Christian Hebert, who, if you're in Western Canadian agriculture, you're very familiar with Christian. He farms uh, south of Mooseman, Saskatchewan, in the southeast corner of Saskatchewan. He had some really interesting things to share about how they manage uh, fertilizer purchases and supply and demand fluctuations on their farm. And on Coffee Row, we have a number of producers that I spoke to that uh, all spoke to a general theme. And then we'll also hear from Derek Squire uh, when we get to the highlights of the Strategic Farmer event that we just got back from that was held in Regina. Derek is from Exceed Marketing. He gives us a little bit of his fertilizer outlook. So if you stick around till the end of the show, you're actually going to hear a little bit of a prediction on where things are going. So Dan, tell me, uh, what's your take on fertilizer? Well, hey, here's the thing. I wanted to look at it through a little bit of a different lens because a lot of the folks that we talked to, they were very specific about you know timing of fire fertilizer purchases. A lot of it related to storage, you know, the seasonality of, of purchases. 
I wanted to take a little bit bigger view on the history of fertilizer. And the thing I really wondered was, have we ever really run out of fertilizer in history? And it turns out, Brian, that we, we haven't, which is good because it would be the sort of thing that leads to, you know, you know, those zombie apocalypse type shows that you, that you watch where quickly people in the community, they get together in little packs and run around and raid grocery stores. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of like after a hurricane. Yeah, I play those games too. Well, they've done their research on on hurricanes, and it doesn't take long for people to form mobs and go uh, hunting for food. So, as as they say, like if you if you have a full belly, you have a hundred problems. If you have an empty belly, you have one problem. I don't know. If you, have you experienced hunger, Brian? Ever? Like uh, maybe since breakfast? But thankfully, no. I've experienced the hunger of a growing teen. Uh, I am six <laughs> nine, and I, so I've eaten my parents out of house and home for most of my life until I left. And now I have three boys of my own and I've experienced that type of hunger, but no hunger where that's the only thing on our mind. Right now, the only thing on my family's mind is their iPads, iPhones, stuff like that. So no, to answer your question. That's because we have all this abundance of food from the modern uh, food production system yeah. that's kept up with everything. And we'll talk about that. So the interesting thing is, we haven't ever run out of fertilizer, though at times it has been kind of scarce. But one of the more interesting times in history was around, uh, you know, the 18, end of the 1800s and the 1900s when there's only 1 million people or 1 billion people on the planet. Now there's eight. So the reason that we got to eight is because uh, around the end of the 1800s when all the, all the finest fertilizer in the land came from a couple of remote islands off the coast of Chile and Peru. And there was hundreds of feet of guano built up there over the years because of the unique ecosystem where there's lots of uh, food for the birds and the bird shit ever washed away. And ships all over the world were lined up to load up their their hulls with uh, this fertilizer that led to big boom in agricultural production, big boom in population. And they started to realize as this guano was running out that the first world could starve and... Right around that time, 19, beginning in the 1900s, 1904, 1906, Fritz Haber invented a process most people haven't heard of called the Haber-Bosch process. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Never heard of Haber-Bosch process? Never heard of that. So essentially what happened was uh, through a combination of a certain kind of catalyst and high temperatures and um, high pressure, uh, Fritz Haber was able to invent a way to synthesize the abundance of nitrogen that's in the atmosphere. The atmosphere consists of 80% nitrogen. You're breathing it in right now. It is the thing that uh, constitutes life and essentially makes things grow in an almost unlimited way that now we pour on in a manufactured synthetic fertility kind of fashion, industrialized uh, mass produced scale all over the world. And that's how we've gotten to 8 billion. So it's crazy to think if we hadn't had that process invented that most people don't know about. Yeah. Uh, probably half the people on planet Earth wouldn't even be here. If you shut it down, people would be uh, starving pretty quickly. All comes back to this invention that uh, if it hadn't happened, uh, it would be a very different world we'd be staring out the window at. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have never heard the name Haber-Bosch. They didn't, to my knowledge, they don't teach it in the schools here in the U.S., and I wonder why that is. I mean, it seems like that would be something you should know about. 
who knows, but let's get into, we want to hear from uh, Christian Hebert and then we'll kind of get some thoughts on that um, interview after we go through this. When it comes to fertilizer supply and demand, obviously in the last two, three years, we've had a huge, significant uh, change in the macroeconomic situation, right from, you know, war in Europe, uh, disrupting energy, disrupting fertilizer, major, major fertilizer suppliers. How do you see this impacting your farm uh, in the last couple of years and going forward? I mean, I think over the last let's call it 36 months, we had started putting up infrastructure for all inputs, fertilizer, fuel, seed, chemical, etc. For, for, for kind of the reason that we wanted to have some more power over the volatility of the input side. Because um, basically, it seems like the pricing of fertilizer especially is as volatile as the pricing of commodities. So we wanted to be able to have some power over that, had to be able to take it on farm. Um, and then, and then COVID just showed us a few other things, right? Like none of us realized that supply could be that pinched off at points in times where you couldn't even get it. Didn't matter if you wanted to pay for it, you couldn't get a quote. So I think it's just showing that even though we might not want to, we need to have a plan like a full year in advance of the crop. I mean, we're in discussions right now on 2024, per, 2024 spring per fertilizer, um, just based on where the pricing's at and that we have logistics to be able to take it. So, you know, I think, I think we need to start looking at infrastructure uh, and, and how valuable that is, but also having more than this year's crop plan ready and being ready to pull the pin uh, on incremental purchases of inputs. So what is having the storage really, uh, what are the implications of having really good storage mean for your purchasing ability? So, I mean, I think if you go to the fertilizer manufacturing side, their goal is for those plants to run as full as they can 12 months of the year. So you'll find that sometimes you'll be able to take product, let's say between May and July of 2023, which is really product for 2024. And I might not even have to pay for it till the end of 2023, because it's more important for the manufacturers to get it out of their shed so they can keep manufacturing than it is to get paid for it. And if you don't have the ability to take it, then you, one, you won't see the best prices and two, you know, you can't, let's call it, collaborate with the manufacturers to help with their pinch point, which is they need to keep manufacturing. It seems as though a lot of producers are already positioned with their fertility, but the fertilities come down more than commodities have come down. I was thinking we would see commodities come down and feel the pain of the fertilizer staying up for as long as possible. What do you think's going on there? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's it's always tough to know if when you know I'm not a full time person spending time analyzing these markets, but I mean, my personal belief is the natural gas market in the UK and Europe allowed cost of production of of nitrogen products to really go up really fast, um, but it was also significantly more expensive in Europe than it was even in the US or in Canada. Uh, but then all fertilizers more or less followed that margin. So they use the cost of production in one area of the world to derive the number of which they were going to start pricing their metric tons off of. So then when that part of the world's cost of production drops, which it had to, it was, you know, natural gas was trading at 20 times higher in Europe than it was even in the U.S. and the U.S. was way up. As it backs off in, into, into spring, 
you know, when, when, when you have a bit of, let's call it inflated margin on fertilizer, it can drop pretty fast because there's not a lot of supply and demand, you know, metrics in that number. And, and I think that's what happened is that that natural gas price dropped off. So then the Excel spreadsheet didn't work very well. So then they drop first and then everybody else has to drop around it. And, and I mean, you and I both know, like potash didn't get any more, much more expensive to get out of the mine in the last 24 months. You know, wages and fuel were up a little bit, but like they built the mine in, in the past. They weren't, so it, a lot of these prices on a lot of the other fertilizers were just following nitrogen. And, and so I think they, they thought they could maybe hold on to it longer because they thought natural gas would stay up farther. Um, but there's, there's just really weird things going on in the fuel market period, whether it be natural gas or diesel or, or gas. I mean, you look at the natural spread normally from farm diesel to diesel at the pump, and it used to eat, be a very simple calculation. It was just the certain tax rebates and the, and the two to four cent bulk purchase rebate we got back. And now you'll find times where the spreads 60, 70 cents. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, other than the market is trying to figure out supply and demand and where it needs to shake out. And, and I don't think we've figured that out yet. Have you ever run out of fertilizer on the farm? Have you ever not been able to get it? Uh, no, we've never run out. We tend to pre-purchase everything. Um, and I'm fine. Even the odd year, you know, this year I probably could buy right now for what I bought last July and October for. So did I make any return on my money? No, but but we have it on farm. I'm, I'm pretty always pretty nervous of not having what we need. So we've we've never run out. Um, but I, I would say a lot of it was because of because of pre-planning. It's tough to time the market. It's tough to to buy fertilizer at the low and sell your grain at the high. But when do you feel really satisfied you made a good purchase relative to hedging against your profits on the farm? Is that a factor? You say okay, that's good. I'm good. So, I mean, we run our, we run our cost of production and really I've taken the same strategy on fertilizer as we do on grain and we do it in increments, right? Fertilizer, we're probably at least into four major pulls now to hit our total purchases. Um, Cause you're right. Hitting the low in the, in this volatile of a market is tough, but I mean, you go back and I just use the old M and P surveys from a couple years back prior to, prior to this commodity price boom. And the average farm, was trying to, to have a net profit of around $50 an acre in Western Canada. That assumed you were paying yourself rent and, and a management fee. So, I mean, you start looking into years like this when you can, when with pre-buying inputs and pre-selling commodities, and you can have net incomes three, four, five 500% of average, um, you got to get to a point in time where you're just comfortable and you pull the pin and make a plan and execute. Um, and, and yes, sometimes you're going to be wrong, but sometimes you're going to be right. And if you're, if you're farming three or four or five years in one, you're not that wrong. You're maybe just less right. <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing your insights here on the Nexus Now podcast, Christian, on fertilizer. Um, I'm sure farmers will find it very fascinating how you go about it and how you view it. So thank you. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Why wow, that was, that was a great interview, by the way. Um, very um, pointed questions. The biggest takeaway I got from that was just uh, you basically uh, have to plan very far ahead and you have to have storage to be successful. Like that's uh, things you don't really think about, especially as being a non farmer. All I picture in my mind is like two or three silos with weed in it. They come take it away, and, and it's and, yes, and that was you know that. fifty years ago. That was very relevant. <laughs> we have we you know it's funny because we talk about that in agriculture is how most people outside of agriculture still see us as a little red barn. Let's check out 
let's start with uh, the West this time. Let's start with Greg uh, Stamp in Alberta, Enchant, Alberta. And he has a neat twist. He has a little bit of an extension of the storage concept um, that he goes further with. So let's listen to that right now here, Brian. Typically, we're using most of our nitrogen boss straights. So two separate tanks in the drill and then and then VR fertility of each of those as the maps dictate in the fields and so we're not so we can you can buy straight in and straight boss and then we've got bins on farm to take all that supply whenever we may need it and that uh, we're decide to buy it so it can change from year to year a little bit but generally buying a bit of nitrogen in the summertime and or most of it and it's not all of it and uh, that would kind of range in that you know kind of that july august time frame but we do plant a lot of winter crops so we do put down a lot with our winter crops too so we need to buy some in the summer anyways for that so so that's part of it but we've also done years where you know just kind of look at the market decided to do you know just half early and half more leave it till midwinter and yeah you're, you're hit or miss for doing that you, you could be wrong generally the, the farm strategy has been uh, we, we don't want to have supply interruptions, so we want to have stuff. I mean, we want to be ready to seed by now, by mid-March, everything ready to roll on, on farm because we don't want to have to deal with that past the middle middle of March because there's years where we can seed by late March, early April. So um, most modern farms would have on farm or, or expanding or, you know, farms that have grown the last five years would probably have also invested in fertilizer storage. I think it's just... As your farms grow, that's just one less thing to have to deal with if it's on your farm. So, I mean, we see that happening with, with certified seed. Like, more and more of our customers are, are we're treating seed, getting it to their farm in the winter, and they're they're taking a position on seed, kind of like they are fertilizer, and getting it home, and then getting some deals to, that, to do that as well. So, I mean, if someone wants to get seed picked up and treated out of my place and pay for it early, uh, you know, there's discounts for that. So same kind of thing fertilizer but I, i've used seed almost the same way i take it home get it in your possession so i would say if you got fertilizer bins the, ne- the next step is dedicated seed bins if you don't have dedicated seed bins yeah yeah no again that's just i didn't realize that much planning went into it it's amazing well hey now you know you're learning uh, leaps and bounds here i am learning you're gonna want to start a farm in texas no, here if you're no. not careful you guys work too hard for me. This is about the nice <laughs> yeah. right You're not here. only a layman, but you're lazy. Yeah, lazy men. <laughs> lazy men. I got one more farmer for you. Uh, good friend of ours, Jeff Pizzi. My brother's worked with him on agronomy. He he shared a lot of the same sentiments um, of, of the other folks that I talked to. Generally, it's seasonal. We found that, I mean, unless you have it in your yard, physically you can look at it feel it it may or may not be there i mean you hear stories over the last couple of years especially when things started getting tight last year that guys were buying fertilizer and it not being there when they needed it so i feel it's important to be able to physically take delivery and that's kind of what we focused on over the last couple of years being able to store it you know as efficiently as we can all right 
So that's what I got for talking to producers in regards to fertilizer and supply. I really enjoyed that. And uh, it was cool to see how that theme emerged. And right. I'm sure farmers listening to that can relate. But we did have a really fun and energizing and educational uh, event that we went to called St the Strategic Farmer that was held uh, by my brother, uh, Terry, in conjunction with a bunch of folks from the old AgriChen network. And I believe it's called Agricultural Intelligence Network Peer Group is the name for the folks that used to be part of, of the, uh, the AgriChen network. And, and of course, uh, we had a number of great speakers. We got the market outlook with Derek Squire, which we're gonna play a clip shortly just to kind of end our chat on fertilizer supply and demand. We're going to put that presentation online and share that as some of the content of, of the newsletter. Uh, Brian, if folks are looking to get some of this in their inbox, how would they how would they do so if they want to? Because all the content is related to the newsletter that we're putting out every month. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the easiest way is just to go to www. Do you have to still say www these days? People just know that, don't they? Just go to <laughs> gflagri.com. Gflagri. Dot com. Scroll to the bottom of the page, click on contact us, and you can sign up for our newsletter. Yeah, so we got one more clip that we wanted to share with you from Derek Squire uh, from Exceed Marketing, who is at this Strategic Farmer event. Uh, I sent you the link there, Brian, if you want to boot that up and play that, and we'll listen to that. And then we'll uh, scoot on out of here before we'll just maybe preview what's coming up next month before we scoot on out of here. So yeah, fertilizer absolutely is coming down. You know, I, I think that you know, if, if with uh, with the, where the prices were maybe five or six months ago, uh, you know, there was still a, a pretty good, you know even with the, with costs coming up, there was still pretty good margin for for forward pricing new crop. Uh, now that we've we've come down in fertilizer, I think that's a big reason that we're you know we're dropping off a new crop oil seeds and wheat as well. Like that margin's still decent there with using today's cost. So so I think, you know, oil and gas is a commodity just the same as wheat and canola is, right? So they kind of rise and fall and, it, and it's always a good hedge to to be for price as you buy your inputs before pricing. So be, you know, you manage that, you know, that hedge that comes with it. So so you know, we think that oil and gas are going to come down a little bit more because it, you know, like I said it's a commodity. Fertilizer is going to come down a little bit more with it. Um, I think eventually uh, you know, call it five, six months from now, when Europe goes into their into their winter, I think we're going to start to go back the other side again, right? We're going to see oil and gas coming up a little bit, natural gas coming up, you know, and then costs coming up a little bit more. Commodities come back and come coming back again as well. And when I say co you know commodities, macro, you know, oil, gas, wheat, canola, all those things should be should be trending up with those with those costs. Good question. This has been some great information. Really appreciate that, Dan. Um, let's wrap it up with some key takeaways on what we've heard today. Storage, storage, storage. Yeah, no, and, and, and my key takeaway is the history part from earlier. Um, my key takeaway is that if that Haber and Bosch deal didn't happen, we'd be in the zombie apocalypse right now, and I'd be hunting with a bow and arrow. So... It's time to explain this to your boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must learn. Thank you. Well, Dan, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, thank you, Dan. I uh, hope you've enjoyed Next is Now. I'm Brian Brunson with Dan Aberhart. Join us next time for a discussion on... Spring, Spring seeding. seeding.